morning, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to this episode of Fridays with Fintelect, where I'm joined by Maria Nizzero, a research fellow at the Center for Financial Crime and Security Studies at RUSI, that is the Royal United Services Institute based in London. Uh, Maria has recently published a policy brief called the Illicit Finance Threat to Democracies, or Transatlantic, uh, Transatlantic Response, which is one of the outcomes of the tariff committee that RUSI started in July 2021. Uh, the research proposes seven straightforward action items based on three underlying principles. The action items have universal applicability, and hence this research can be valuable for policymakers around the world. So, Maria, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to this episode. Hi, Sharice. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Fantastic. So, uh, you know, the idea for this episode of uh, Fridays with Fintlet came about when Maria and I met for lunch in Singapore a couple of months back on the sidelines of the FATF Interpol conference. And therefore, in addition to speaking about her uh, research, I'm also going to ask Maria later on uh, in the session to share some of her insights from that particular conference. But to start, uh, Maria, can you tell your audience, uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, what you did before RUSI and your work uh, at RUSI currently uh, before we get into discussing the policy brief specifically. Sure. Uh, so as, as you uh, said in your presentation, I am a research fellow uh, at the Center for Financial Crime and Security Studies. I am one of the many research fellows within the center. Uh, the center was founded uh, something like around 2014 by our director, Tom Keating, who is a former uh, JP Morgan <laughs> investment manager and uh, who realized the importance of financial crime and how often illicit finance and financial crime uh, do represent a matter uh, and a threat to our national and international security. And because of that, he decided to create this center within RUSI, which as the name potentially uh, suggests it's a military and defense think tank. It's one of the oldest uh, security think tanks in the world. So obviously every time that people ask me, why are you guys in the center? Well, obviously because um, nowadays security is such a multifaceted phenomenon. And as a result, finance nowadays is potentially much more of a threat than it was back in the days, uh, but it does play such a central and pivotal part in any response, honestly, uh, not exclusively in, in defense, so tanks and guns, but also generally speaking about our uh, economic security, social security, and uh, general speaking security uh, as, a, as, as democratic societies uh, as a whole. And in terms of my background, uh, it's very much security. This is why I, I talk about this. Uh, prior to RUSI, I was mainly an academic. I was an associate professor uh, for the class of institutions and politics of the European Union. I'm still completing my PhD uh, on the organized crime and terrorism nexus at the University of Barcelona. And uh, so, yes, basically, most of the times I was spending uh, my time in among books, reading and, and writing until I realized that think tanks, most of the times they are that bridge between the academia that sometimes ends up being a bit of a bubble um, and the public, generally speaking. So what we do as RUSI, as a think tank, is we do the research and then we translate it into easier uh, terms also for policymakers. And I think that this is what Tariff uh, has done as well, you know, to translate uh, in very easy, simple steps uh, what needs to be done, you know, to, to, to fight against illicit finance and to close the gaps. Uh, as per my research, you, you already have highlighted it, i.e. I, 
mainly focused nowadays on asset recovery, uh, not exclusively because it's now one of the strategic priorities of, uh, of the FATF, the Financial Action Task Force, uh, but also because I'm Italian and uh, born and raised, and Italians surprisingly do very, very good uh, when it like, deals when it comes to, to asset recovery. Um, aside from this, uh, I am part of the UK economic crime team, so I focus uh, more specifically on how the UK uh, anti-money laundering and framework works, where the gaps are, and spoiler alert, there are many, uh, so I, I'm never not busy, uh, so I work on, on the UK economic crime, and given that my background is security, I also look more generally at the foreign policy uh, dimension. Of, uh, of illicit finance. So how um, essentially malign actors and generally speaking other actors use finance to undermine our democracy and to infiltrate slowly in, uh, in our society. This is not a nutshell. <laughs> right, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for that uh, introduction, uh, Maria. Uh, now in July, 2021, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Rusi established the uh, task force on a transatlantic response to illicit finance, uh, in short tariff. And the goal of tariff uh, was to explore the rising acknowledgement within the US and UK governments that illicit finance that is generated by corruption and kleptocracy is not only having a negative impact on their own societies, on their security and financial integrity, but also on that of the wider democratic world. So can you give us a quick background on the task force and its objectives? Yes. So, as you said, TARI stands for Transatlantic uh, Response to Illicit Finance. And I think that the word transatlantic was quite uh, pivotal, especially at the beginning of when the task force uh, was set up. Uh, the it came essentially from a realization, uh, you know, most of the times when we talk about uh, big money laundering scandals, and generally speaking, every time that we talk about financial crime, uh, US and UK being global financial centers, uh, they are always at the front, at the middle and at the center and, and at the end um, of these of these scandals. You know, I, I always say when people ask me why uh, I study economic crime in the UK is because London is always there. And it also came with a realization that for a long time, uh, these countries have potentially looked outwards, you know, pointing the finger a bit at other countries saying, oh, you should, you know, um, strengthen your, uh, your financial uh, defenses, you should uh, close your vulnerabilities without necessarily admitting that there were many vulnerabilities in their own systems. And most of the times, if uh, there is a gap or a vulnerability in a global financial center, such as the ones in the US or the ones in the UK, but even uh, we're, we're going to talk about the APAC region, Singapore, for instance, is now uh, a huge uh, financial center. So if there is a gap there, it's going to have such a major effect also on the different uh, parts of the system, of the global system, given that nowadays we're all interconnected. So starting from that realization, um, what we did was gathering together uh, about 50 uh, experts from the UK and the US and essentially starting talking. We had three uh, meetings. The first two meetings were uh, in 2021 and the second meeting, which is quite interesting, uh, was in March 2022. The first two meetings, the first one was just generally speaking, looking at the US and the UK and understanding what were the gaps, what were the vulnerabilities. Um, it was a very hard task, as you probably might, might imagine. Um, and then the second meeting was looking at how the UK and the US were facing other countries, how they were interacting and how uh, they could lead by example, but also what could, they could learn essentially uh, from other countries as well. 
And finally, the third meeting, as I said, was quite interesting because it happened in March 2022 uh, after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which obviously highlighted what we had already found uh, in the previous meetings, especially about the vulnerabilities in the UK, especially you know, with the matter of the real estate sector, for instance, or the lack of, um, of beneficial ownership, uh, transparency. Uh, but also, generally speaking, with a, it came with a realization that for a long time, actors, malign actors, if you want to call it this way, they had infiltrated within our societies, strategically using um, not exclusively illicit finance, but generally speaking, the financial system um, to undermine our democracy. So we saw that sometimes they were using uh, tools that were completely legal, uh, I don't know, for instance, libel suits, but just to pursue anti-democratic goals. And so that came to a realization, the fact that it's not exclusively, it's called illicit finance for a reason, it's not illegal finance, because finance can be used both, you know, it's a double-edged uh, edged sword. So after these three meetings, every time that we were finishing these meetings, we would come up with recommendations. And there were such good recommendations, honestly, with uh, amazing experts. We had academics, practitioners, uh, members of the private sector as well. And we, we had to write uh, a policy brief. We had to write a policy brief that was um, that had to be clear, that had to be simple, and it had to be streamlined. And so we came up with these uh, seven actions that, personally speaking, I always say we're not reinventing the wheel, but potentially they do summarize uh, everything that has been said for many, many years and that hasn't been done yet. Right. So, uh, you know, what are these uh, seven actions, you know, that you're proposing uh, in the policy brief? And, you know, uh, I believe they're also based on sort of three underlying uh, broad principles. Uh, could you speak a bit about these? Yeah, sure. Um, starting from the principles, I think that, again, it comes back from that realization that I said at the beginning, uh, there needs to be anything that is going to be done as to regards tackling illicit finance needs to be done following three uh, principles. One is honesty. Be honest about what your deficiencies are and how far you can go. Then cross-border collaboration. Um, crime is transnational in nature. Nowadays, operating in silos is never going to lead you anywhere. And then finally, ambition. Because, again, we can talk about what can be done right now. But as crime is not exclusively transnational, it's also ever-changing. You need to have that sort of mindset that is a bit of a horizon scanning, looking at what could be potential threats and, you know, be ambitious in what you can do. Not, not saying, oh, we don't have the resources right now. Just say, maybe we don't have them right now, but we could. And if we had, what else can we do? So starting from those principles, we elaborated these seven actions that look at illicit finance from every angle. As I said, it's such a multifaceted phenomenon that, first of all, it does it cannot be uh, something that needs to be solved exclusively by government. So we look at the different actors. Uh, we have the public sector, we have the private sector, and then we have civil society that we're very loud. So it's uh, it's good that we are operate as, if, as a bit of a, of a bridge between the public and the private sector. Then we also look at, as I said, uh, any type of threat. So not exclusively uh, money laundering, which is obviously the most easier and the one that we all know, but also uh, talking about generally what is going to, to be the threat of the future. Uh, do we have to deal and do we have to worry about crypto, for instance? 
yes, we should. Um, do we have to look at other aspects of how do we solve this? So, for instance, not exclusively with legislation or regulation, but also new uh, elements such as, for instance, information sharing or generally speaking, embracing new technologies. And so, and then we look at the at the responses. Obviously, we have identified uh, the vulnerabilities. They need specific responses. Some of them are not new. Uh, the most obvious one is increased beneficial ownership transparency. I'm assuming that it's it's quite of a topic that is well known by by all the audience of Vitelect. Uh, but also new things, as I said, the Financial Action Task Force has highlighted the need to uh, strengthen and streamline our asset recovery uh, efforts. So uh, to summarize, the seven actions are, uh, generally speaking, very simple. Uh, so the first one is coming clean, as I said, being honest about what your deficiencies are, and also audit the toolbox. And by this, I mean, essentially, we have a lot of things, right? You, we have a lot of legislation, we have a lot of regulation. Um, it is time, potentially, to test this mechanism, to test these tools, see what works, keep it, and what does not work, deciding shall we improve it or shall we actually park it and go further, you know, find be ambitious, as I said at the beginning. Then the second one is lead by example. And I don't mean in a sort of patronizing way, which I'm conscious that many times, especially the UK, uh, has a bit of a tendency of sounding patronizing. I think it's important that the US and the UK, by coming clean, they say, OK, yes, we do have these deficiencies, but we want to be those global leaders in tackling financial crime, helping as well others learning from other global financial centers, because I think that other centers are potentially uh, doing a bit better in some, in some things, uh, learning from each other and cooperating, which brings me to the third action, which is elevate information sharing. Um, it's not exclusively information sharing across the different governments, it's also elevating information sharing with the private sector. We have financial institutions that most of the times they feel potentially overburdened and overworked. Uh, this sharing of information is essential, it's pivotal to the fight against financial crime. However, it needs to be uh, elevated and it needs to be uh, done in a better way, uh, potentially, for instance, in creating uh, a joint public-private partnership, um, especially as it, as it relates to proceeds of corruption and kleptocracy. Enable new technology, I, I said it already, uh, we're seeing some um, some reforms in the UK specifically now that are going to uh, to finally bring uh, some of our registers in the 21st century, which is amazing. But as we have new technologies, why don't we use them? We should be using them more. Um, and also be careful, you know, be wary of the unintended consequences that this may bring. Uh, to, so to ensure that essentially uh, there is not an exclusion uh, of other uh, partners potentially by embracing these new technologies. Invigorate asset recovery and return. I, I say it not just because it's my topic of choice and I love it very much and very dearly, but it's very important. It's not just a matter of preventing financial crime. Financial crime is likely to happen anyway. So if it happens, then we need to be there to get the proceeds to go after uh, the criminals, you know, and to returning the assets uh, that have been uh, seized and confiscated once once we find them, once we find them. Um, and then finally, the last two is uh, is just generally speaking, emboldening and protecting civil society. I, I mentioned how um, sometimes active malign action uh, actors, they use um, 
completely legal instruments, you know, to uh, to pursue their anti-democratic goals. Libel suits are one of these. Uh, threatening journalists, threatening whistleblowers is um, is quite uh, an issue. Uh, obviously, uh, for, for the APAC region, the one and DB case um, highlighted, you know, the role of whistleblowers and the role of journalists in going after the stories and how many times they were actually prevented from going after this because they simply didn't have the fund. And obviously, if you are a kleptocrat, you do have a lot of resources at your disposal. So we need to keep up and step up our fight and our battle. And then finally, the, the last action is strengthen the terror measures. Uh, we need to look at the current situation. There are loads of lessons that can be learned uh, from the Russia experience on the benefits of coordinated sanctions, but also on the benefits, generally speaking, of information sharing and collaboration. What I think Russia invasion of Ukraine has highlighted is that when we want to, and if we want to, there can be a coordinated response. So let's learn from those lessons and let's apply them to any other situation that, like that, that present financial crime. Right. I think very uh, straightforward and simple um, uh, actions that you propose. And, you know, one word thing that uh, most of the policymakers would have uh, maybe learned this in school and, <laughs> you know, forgotten some of these steps along the way when they assume their positions. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know, although the, uh, you know, policy brief primary, you know, focuses on the transatlantic response, I think, you know, some of these actions that you uh, spoke about uh, seem to have universal applicability and, you know, a large part of your, our, our audience today is from the APAC region. So uh, do you have any thoughts on how countries in this region can uh, adopt uh, uh, some of your recommendations in their own fight against illicit finance? Absolutely. I think that actually there is not a single action that I have highlighted that cannot be applied or transposed uh, to, to the countries in the APAC region. As I said, um, what is important is that there are these big global financial centers and that we are all interconnected. So once looking at your own vulnerabilities, then you can go uh, from there. The policy brief was focusing on the UK and the US, mainly because we had experts from the UK and the US. Um, and then obviously once you read it, it goes through and says, I don't know, it makes very specific recommendations such as reform companies house, then maybe it's not something that uh, a country in the in the in the ABAC region needs to do to reform their company registry. However, the overarching topic of each uh, of each action, absolutely. Uh, I think that if I were to, to focus on specific issues, ultimate beneficial ownership and transparency is absolutely crucial. Um, strengthening the responses also of non-financial designated non-financial businesses and professions often, I don't like the term, they're often referred to as enablers. Uh, but I think that if it's important that there is a concerted action because if the UK and the US start strengthening those defenses in those sectors, it's likely that they're going to move somewhere else you know there's going to be uh I, I we need a, a sort of coordinated response because once somebody ensures that there are protections they might move somewhere else we've seen the financial action task force for instance highlighting this issue uh with their recent grade listing um 
some countries specifically, they have attracted a bit more uh, the, the swarms of kleptocrats alike and accountants and, and lawyers of these centers. And now they are facilitating the, the coming of dirty money into those countries. So I think it's very important to, to see what is suggested for the UK and the US and realizing that if actually... It's not given. It's not given. But if the US and the UK start taking action, it's likely that criminals might want to move and they might want to come uh, and threaten uh, the system in the APAC region as well. I see Singapore as an amazing and very vibrant city. I loved it when I was there. Uh, but I also see it that it's so attractive. It's uh, it's as attractive or even actually more attractive nowadays than London. So just get ready that that money might come and see it as attractive as well. Right. Uh, so, um, Maria, my next question to you is about uh, sanctions and asset recovery. Now, you know, since the Russia-Ukraine conflict started, we've actually seen a ton of sanctions being issued, but, uh, you know, do you think they're really effective or is it just leading to a sort of cat and mouse game where, you know, innovations and sanctions evasions are being thought of? And on, you know, you mentioned beneficial ownership. So, you know, on things like beneficial ownership laws, why did it take a war uh, for the US and UK to actually take it seriously? Uh, do you think it's just, uh, you know, the confiscation of a few yachts? Is that the answer? Or do we need a more comprehensive approach? Uh, it would be get, you know, great to get some of your comments on uh, this, as well as, you know, maybe what you found as key takeaways from the uh, FATF Interpol conference in Singapore recently, where, you know, asset recovery, uh, was discussed at length. Sure, a uh, lot of questions. So um, yes, I think that starting from the, the matter of, of sanctions, I think that what we've seen is been uh, an unprecedented response in terms of coordinated sanctions, especially from Western countries. But I've seen, uh, globally speaking, not everybody, but most of countries, they have uh, stepped up you know, to the task of uh, the, it, it was such a appalling situation. It is still such an appalling situation. What has been happening in Ukraine that it need it required an unprecedented response, and that we have seen. Whether they have been effective, I think that it's it's a matter of where where we want to go and what is the goal of sanctions. I always talk about this when when policymakers, you know, they talk about what, what you just uh, mentioned in my commentary is the freeze to seize dilemma. So should we just seize uh, the oligarch's assets? Should we just go more um, more bold? Shall we be bolder or shall we go further in, in what we do? What else is there to sanction, honestly talking? You know, all, most of the sectors right now have been sanctioned, although not every, every sanction in itself. Um, again, it really depends on the on the purpose, on the ultimate goal of sanctions. Sanctions are a foreign policy tool that has been devised as to change behavior. You place, you designate an individual on a sanction list because you are expecting that there's going to be a behavioral change. So uh, some sanctions potentially, as it relates to Russia, uh, they're more effective as to halting, for instance, Russia's economy. We have seen the ones placed on specific crucial sectors, such as the energy sector, that ha have started to, uh, to have some consequences, also consequences on ourselves. Uh, we have to obviously be conscious of that. But in that sense, some specific sanctions, they have been, they've, they started to, to, to show some results. 
Um, as it relates to what you said about the, the 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 game of the cat and mouse, it's a bit the problem of illicit finance, isn't it? Because you cannot tackle crime unless the crime has happened uh, in itself. So what are you trying to do? Is it something that you're going to prevent? Is that a deterrent measure? Or are you going after? Um, uh, the matter of sanction division is quite interesting because it has highlighted that then again, there are many, many, many sectors, the so-called enablers, they are so good at helping evading uh, sanctions and hiding money. So if anything, it has potentially highlighted even more the need to strengthen the defenses in those uh, specific sectors. Uh, likewise, it has shown that it's very important to criminalize the offense of sanction evasion, because right now, uh, just bringing back the, the European Union, for instance, not every country has um, has a sanction evasion offense, and actually they have now an asset recovery directive uh, as a proposal that is going to introduce, should the member states accept it, obviously shooting introduce uh, sanction evasion as a criminal offense. And I think it's very interesting, you know, to find um, to find how uh, the more that we implement these tools, the more we find that oh, actually we had. A backdoor and we didn't even know that there was a backdoor over that so that that has been great in my opinion it has highlighted even more the need to auditing the toolbox um as it relates to asset recovery um and this is something that was discussed quite uh, extensively um at the fatf uh, conference in singapore last september so there are two issues on one side we are all doing very badly uh, as it relates to asset recovery the pursuit of crime are still going around, are still hidden. Uh, we have very few countries, uh, Italy being one of the countries that is doing great. Uh, New Zealand just recently has come up as one of the countries that has stepped up uh, their game as it relates to asset recovery. However, generally speaking, we're all doing very badly. And I think it is because most of the times we, we think of crime as something going after the criminal which is a fair assumption and it should be the, always should be the goal, but sometimes the criminals simply can't be brought to justice. However, you might be capable of getting the money. And that sometimes, especially for origin countries that are suffering from corruption, most of the times actually you care more about the money and it hurts more the criminal not to have the proceeds of their illicit action rather than you know, spending some time in prison. And I think that this is why the Italians are so good at it. You know, they have this experience with the mafia, the organized crime. And you have mafia members that still govern uh, their clans from prison. What hurts is if their villas, if their lands are taken by the authorities and you know they're used for social purposes. You can go in a supermarket in Italy and buy a tomato sauce that was of, of tomatoes that were cultivated on a land that was confiscated from a mafia member. And that's amazing. And that's so um it's very satisfying in a way, you know. So that's definitely something that uh it has been highlighted. And the FATF is pushing, you know, to increase. Uh, these, these efforts and potentially seeing how if the criminal cannot be brought to justice from a criminal uh, proceeding, can we maybe have some seizure that is either administrative in form or civil confiscation? Now, I know that not every country has civil uh, confiscation, so the idea is to find tools that maybe are not civil, but they're neither criminal, so we don't need the individual there, you know, they might be a scondi. Look at Jolo. 
like Jolo is the, the, the biggest example, I'd say, you still want that money, right? I feel that Malaysia really want that money. They, 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 I mean, it's it's such a gigantic uh, hole in, the, in their financial system. So you want the money, even if you can't get Jolo. I mean, obviously it would be great to finally get the guy. But if you can't, why don't go after the money? So that's what the FATF has been pushing uh, quite a lot. And as it relates, so this is the first conversation. The second conversation is more about uh, the assets that have been sanctioned. And it goes back to what I said at the beginning about the goal of sanctions. So sanctions, as I said, are a tool of foreign policy. They should be aiming at changing behavior. So you place uh, an oligarch on a sanction list because in your mind, the oligarch has some sort of influence. You want to take them because of their connection to the Kremlin and the actions of the Kremlin in Ukraine. But there is an issue. The oligarchs is also a criminal and the wealth of the criminal of the, of the so-called oligarchs stems from corruption. So first of all, we should have gone after the oligarchs long, long time before uh, the war in Ukraine. And second, nowadays, what do you do? Because the purpose of sanctions is that at some point they're gonna be lifted. The purpose of sanction, an asset freeze, generally speaking, it impedes more dirty money coming into your country. But if you try to seize it and confiscate it, that's a whole other issue. That's asset recovery. And that's a criminal law issue. So again, what is your goal? If the goal is going after the oligarchs because they're criminal, because they're corrupt, then absolutely we can devise uh, mechanisms. However, they need to be separated by from sanctions, first of all. And second, uh, right now it's very difficult because it brings back to what you very, very properly highlighted about beneficial ownership transparency. Um, I think that most of the times nowadays it's very difficult to trace the assets. We don't know where they are. And we go after the yachts because the yachts are huge and so visible. Even from a satellite, you can find a yacht, you know, trying to escape sanctions. And, and I, I think that there was recently one that was moving from Hong Kong to South Africa to somewhere else now um, because it's it's visible, it's tangible. It's the low hanging fruit. So what I would go if I were in law enforcement, uh, it would be obviously all the assets that are hidden in uh, places where right now beneficial ownership transparency is not really um, the goal. And for doing that, this brings me to my last uh, point because I figure I spoke too much. I'm very passionate about the topic. <laughs> uh, but I think the final issue that was very much highlighted at the, at the FATF conference is the matter of resources. Right now, law enforcement agencies simply do not have the resources. And by resources, I mean time, personnel, and also specialized personnel that knows what they're doing, um, they don't have these resources to go after the assets. So how can you talk about freeze and seize if you cannot even trace the assets, right? That you, they need to be frozen. So that is definitely one of the key takeaways uh, from the uh, from the session, from the FATF session. We need to step up our our game as it relates to, first of all, different types of confiscation, not exclusively criminal. And second, increasing resources. And to do so, law enforcement agencies obviously should, should be the, the goal, but also potentially including other actors. So private sector, for instance, what else can, can they do? Can they help in asset recovery? It was a mixed bag in the sense that not every country were uh, super in favor of including the private sector. But I personally think that you know, private sector has a lot of resources. And most of the times uh, they want to help as long as they're not overburdened. 
So we need to think of ways in which the private sector can, can be included uh, without necessarily increasing the costs. Excellent, excellent. Thanks, thanks, Maria. That was a really nice and comprehensive uh, answer to uh, that question. So, you know, finally, in closing, uh, you know, what can we expect from the tariff task force in the future? I think that it goes back to what I said. Um, Global financial centers is not just UK, US. Thankfully, um, we have many, many other global financial centers and. I think it's time also for those other uh, centers to start cooperating, sharing information. It goes beyond the five eyes. I, I'm, I'm thinking more, more globally here. Uh, so definitely starting to implement uh, the actions that, that we recommend. Uh, we have started talking with, with other countries, uh, not just UK, US, not just uh, the Western EMA um, area. And countries have started to listen, especially as it relates to us recovery, again, um, but beneficial ownership transparency is also one of the FATF uh, priorities. Um, we've seen in other uh, in other global uh, international forums, such as the G20, uh, G7, the need, the, the, the need to tackle illicit finance has been highlighted over and over again. So definitely there is a momentum uh, going. And what we can expect is either two things. Either we keep on pushing for this momentum and we keep on pushing for reforms, or, you know, the interest wanes, and that's not what we want, honestly. Uh, so I think that that's, that's definitely, it's going to be a challenge for 2023. Um, I think that the, from the tariff side, we are still going to, to push for, first of all, these actions to be implemented in the UK, in the US, starting to talk with um, other international partners. And then finally, as it relates to not exclusively big financial centers, but also other countries, starting this conversation, realizing that if there's going to be a change in one of the big centers, you might have repercussions as it relates to where the criminals might move their money. So be prepared and, you know, strengthen your defenses likewise. Great. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Maria, for, um, uh, you know, for such a uh, interesting and insightful episode and, uh, you know, wish you all the best with your uh, research going forward. Thank you so much. It was, it, was, it was great hosting you and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye.